Okay. Thank you for inviting me, allowing me to be here. I'm going to give a short background. Yeah, just, just sometimes I get, I can really know sometimes. I'm not going to cry, I hope. Don't make me cry. I'm going to give a, a brief as I can, a synopsis of who I am. Not that it's about me, but, but it's about the, the path that I've been on that's gotten me here. So I'm just going to give a quick review of that. And then I'm going to get into the topic um, with just one night to speak. I will be packing a bunch in. It'll be, it'll be tough, but I'm going to have to get what I can in. So I may, I may go fast at times, but I'll try to get some main thrust. I've been working on this for some years now, so my body of knowledge and experience is pretty big. And the time is very short, so I'll do my best here. So I'll, and then I'll, I'll, after I give my little testimony of who I am, I'll... present you with a theme with which to look at for tonight, this topic. And then I'll go through the media influences, how it influences the mind, the heart, the soul, the life. Okay, how media, pop culture, dark society out there, how it works. So, okay. Quick synopsis. I don't come from Anabaptist background with a name like Argo, of course. I remember when I first heard Yoder, I was like, what a funny name. Sounds like, sounds like Swiss. I never heard Yoder before. Okay, background is I grew up in a uh, non, non-Christian, well, Christian, Christendom, Roman Catholic, fighting Irish kind of family, military family, athletic family, and complete pop culture, raised on television, and then radio and Pop music, the whole deal, had pop culture values, lived out my pop culture values, lived out the values from television, from the movies, lived it out uh, to the point where I, I still have uh, great grief over my life. I became a believer in the uh, neighborhood of 42 years ago, and I still sometimes have memories of those first 25 years. And, uh, but I was living out pop culture. I was Conditioned, trained by pop culture, even though I went to church, all that stuff, pop culture is what, what really conditioned me. Um, was an athlete, went, then went, into, went to a military academy, uh, was an athlete in the military academy, lived an absolute wild time trying to avoid getting in trouble, trying to do things to get in trouble, at the same time trying to avoid getting in trouble. You know, there's an easier way, you know. And... <clears throat> Became a, a paratrooper, was 82nd Airborne, and then uh, shared an office with a guy who became a Christian in the military, and then uh, 
He was a strange guy to the whole company. He was strange to me, except for he was interesting to talk to. Guy witnessed to me. I ended up sharing an office with him. And I saw this man's life. And I'm going to be very brief. It's a longer testimony. But bottom line is a man who I, I really gave him a hard time, too, because I was really full of myself. But I saw his man's life, and he, he was shifting his life over to following the word of God. And so I was fascinated with that. Not characteristic of a normal testimony. I swiped his Bible, took it home, was reading it, and it was like hand grenade with a pin pulled and blew up on me. And my testimony sort of odd in that it was without really a lot of witnessing, reading the word of God and God shouting at me through the scriptures by myself, reading it in like a big hand, thou art the man type situation. Went through a pretty severe repentance or change of life that I didn't even understand. And my all my, my roommates, like, they took off. They were gone. My friends, gone. Family, what is going on with you? And, and I had a lot of a lot of issues. But in any case, became a believer, didn't know what to do. Do I get out of the army, stay in the army? I read the scripture. What, what does it say? The message I got from the Christians in the military, the military needs Christians. That's a good answer, huh? So I stayed in. I didn't know what to do. Stayed in the army and heard the, the messages that, this confused message. Now I see that. Didn't see it then. Decided to go ahead and stay in and see what, what to do. And I at least wanted to command. I commanded in Europe, lived in Germany. I got involved with the German church, German missions while I was there, and really got involved with youth work. And I ended up spending about 20 years doing youth work, and that is evangelism youth work, going into public high schools to try and witness and lead public high school students to Christ. Someone was proactive in giving me the gospel, took risks on me, and took abuse from me, and yet continued and found out a church had been praying for me for 70 days or something. They, all these things that, my background. But in any case, I said, well, youth work, I, I did youth work with Youth for Christ, Young Life, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Wherever I would go in the Army, I would, I would try and find out where I could youth work. The, uh, another part of my life was while I was in the Army, didn't know what to do. So stay in, the Army offered me to go to graduate school. So I went to graduate school, became an IT guy. So I was studying computer science and mathematics, apply, how to apply mathematics into computer programming. Did that for the Army. I was, I was called Operations Research Analyst. Did that for a few years. Then the Army actually sent me back to graduate school again and in information technology. So I have a couple of degrees in information technology. And became a simulation developer and spent a good time, really the end of my career, being a simulation developer from the virtual reality video game stuff onto very large-scale, massive uh, decision-making simulations in which you try to figure out how to fight a war. And do we have the logistics and what are the you know, gaming we do? So I, I was doing that. And even after I got out of the Army, I was hired to do that. I was sought after for my technical background. In my, back to my spiritual life, after doing all that years of youth, of youth work, all of a sudden one day it was over. I stopped. Can't explain it. But a new thing popped into my mind, and that was the persecuted church. 
I have been, this is back in the 90s when I started realizing that there was this thing called persecution and that most of the New Testament is written to people in persecution. People in, with, undergoing war against them. And I go, and this is the 90s, and in America in the 90s, no, we didn't know what the rest of the world was. We didn't know anything else. We just thought of America and our little happy place in America. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about persecution. And so I sought out and found out about the war in Sudan to, a lot, to wipe out Christianity, which most Americans didn't know there was a Sudan back in the 90s. And I was fascinated. There are actually people that are laying, living and dying for Christ. And I had this, wow, I want to I meet people who are willing to live and die for Christ for so, somewhat selfish reasons. I had learned from, the, from popular Christianity that I learned how to play for Christ, not live and die for Christ. How to play. Everything was about the wonderful, happy entertainment, play, sports, all that Christianity. And there's a lot of the youth work was like that too. Well, people that are dying. And I found my way over there. It's an interesting story. Found my way through a crazy organization that took me over there. The army wouldn't let me get out, go out, get out. So I actually went over there on all my leave. I spent all my leave for five years going in. Actually, even more than that, but that's a different story. Actually, got extra time to go in and spent my time in backpacking and combat zones in uh, Sudan. Am I being taped? Am I being taped? Am I being taped? Because it blocks a lot of stuff I can say. Because if it's on here, if it's on a tape, it's going to be on the internet. So I, there's certain things I can't. And just to let you know, I came to speak to you, not somebody out there. Okay. So I'm not big on being recorded. Actually, I have a, I might, I might inject things. I'll do it right now. My advertisement for an idea. It's just an idea at this point. I've spoken at the Amish a few times. And of course, I'm, I'm always pushing off being recorded. I'm pushing off these things because I like, I like reality. Reality is a wonderful thing. This, is, this stuff that goes in becomes something else. It's not reality. So this is reality. Love reality. And I've spoken at the uh, Horse and Buggy Amish, different places. Very interesting to be with them and the Hutterites and different people now. It's interesting. And they, you know, I'm always, I, people, people come at me, you know, it's like the tech guy comes at me, you know, you know, to get me and I'm deflecting him. And, but I go to the Amish and the Amish have, a, have an Amish recording device. You know what that is? Amish recording device. This is Horse and Buggy Amish. Three ladies in the back with notebooks. Loving like crazy. <laughs> wow. I think we need to have a Mennonite recording device. Mennonite recording device. You know what, I, you know what that is? Some of you may have heard me talk about this sometime. My suggestion, I'm trying to, trying to shape it somehow with my own church. Just, just a little bit, a little bit, because this, this could be a tough one. Mennonite recording device. What would that be? Instead of when Mrs. Yoder is sick or the, the Byler family got in late last night and missed church this morning, that we record them and send them the DV or CD or, or have them call in and listen and sit on the phone or something like that, I say we, we use our Mennonite recording device and send a, a Mennonite recording device over to that family, or that Mrs. Yoder or the Byler family. Good idea, right? You know what that device is? 
He's a young man, somewhere between the ages of 14 and 18. Right? And they're being told before service that they are on, and they have to listen and take notes. And when the church service is over, the pastor comes to him and says, Young man, You're going to tell Mrs. Byler, or Mrs. Yoder and the Byler family, the whole service, you're going to sing, and you're going to tell what happened in the testimony, and you're going to actually preach the message to them. And they're going to hear you preach the message. Now, I'm way, way ahead of myself, because that does a couple things. Give me, okay, what are some of the things, what are some of the advantages we have right now? Give me, give me. Give me an advantage of doing that. Listen. You have to listen. What's that? You have to listen. Whoa! What's going to happen to those young men? What else? Give me another advantage of this. Somebody? Personal interaction. Personal interaction. <clears throat> Relationship. Relationship. Not digitized detachment. It's relationship. What else is going to happen? What else is going to happen? Come on. Think. Who's heard this, this statement from one of the greatest orators in American history? I ask this question, who are the greatest orators? People don't, don't really get there, so I'm going to ask. Who can, who can tell me who this, of the greatest orators in American history, this statement, give me liberty or give me death. Who said that? How did he do that? What happened? What, what was he? How did he become this the greatest orator? Because he had a two-hour wagon ride, and his mother, on the way home, had him recite the message on the way home, starting as a little boy. What would happen to our young men if we did that? Instead of waiting until some Sunday when you find out you're the pastor now and now start thinking about it. Okay, so I'm way off topic here. Okay. All right, I was telling you about work I was doing, working in, because I still go overseas. I still have some work over there. That, so I have to be careful when I speak and I'm being recorded. In any case, had some... some um, Amazing time with the persecuted church, the underground church, working with rebel fighters, seeing them come to Christ. It, uh, amazing things I got to see. Uh, worked with the underground church in Eritrea. Um, have some work going. Uh, another Middle Eastern country, still ongoing now. And so I got a taste of an enormous amount of that mission work. And uh, through all this, some themes began to really pop up in my mind. And the, the biggest theme that happened, that, that popped up for me, oh, I'm sorry, one more, one more aspect. I already told you that, yes, I became this techie, okay. All these things sort of, sort of came together. Um, on the military side, I had been developing 
simulations to model war planning. And I've worked in the Pentagon a few times. I actually, the one time, worked in what was what would be considered the Office of Propaganda. We don't use those terms. So I, I have this aspect towards information. I understand. I've been around the people that create information to influence the world. So I, I have a, a, f a flavor of that in my background. In any case, I saw themes. The biggest theme that, that jumped out of all of this from the youth work through the mission work, and, and one other thing I didn't mention, I, I did an enormous amount of street evangelism. Uh, I've done around the world, but starting in Germany and uh, other countries, and, and mainly in, in uh, Northern Virginia. And the, the bottom line I, I issue, I, uh, conclusion I come to is that media is blocking evangelism. Media is blocking evangelism, especially in youth. That was just absolutely 100% clear for me. This is, this is my, my number one blocker, uh, opponent, underminer, everything in trying to work with students. This is back in the 90s when I was wrestling with this. This is way before. Even the, cell, even the cell phone industry was just getting started this time. And it was evident to me, the television, the movies, the videos, uh, radio, all those things, and I began experimenting even back then with getting youth off of them to see the effect and saw, saw results. Parents saw results. So I started back then and I'd been growing over time. And as I got into all these other ministries, I saw everywhere I went, even on the mission field, even to this day with in one of our Middle Eastern country that we work in, the pastors say, yup, soon as they get enough money, they get technology, we lose them. We lose them. They get become disinterested in, in church, stop attending, and so on. So this, this theme became clearly evident to me that media and, and then really pop culture, which is a product of, of media. Number one, enemy, and while I was doing all this, Military modeling, I always took the approach to military in general. I go, what am I doing here, Lord? You know, thank God I never went to combat. I mean, you know, when I, after coming to uh, a non-resistance, even before meeting the Mennonites, moving into the non-resistant uh, faith, belief, uh, I asked the Lord, what, do you, what am I doing here? What do I do? And all I could do is try and look at what I'm learning and how can I, how can I apply this to the military? So in this one uh, set of battle plans I was working on, they had something called the, t the Commander's Ten Critical Fights. Ten Critical Fights of Christianity. What are they? That's what I, I, I the ten critical fights of this battle plan were the, which one of these battles of these ten, there's many battles, many functions, many facets. If he loses one of them, he'll lose the war. And I used to ask that question, what are the ten critical fights of Christianity? At the time, I was involved with the creation evolution debate. I was involved with of course, school evangelism. I was involved with um, the Islamic issues. Just lots of these issues that were out there. Abortion, divorce and remarriage. I, before meeting the Mennonites, I was on, thought I was the only person who believed that. Didn't know there were people like you all. I didn't know. I was out fighting these battles. 
uh, pretty much got, became persona non grata, like that means don't come back as a, as a, as a, a uh, Presbyterian elder and a backup preacher for two churches. Basically, I literally, you know, I, I couldn't, couldn't take it anymore and I spoke up about it and gone. And uh, all those battles. And I asked this question to myself, which is the critical battle? What is the number one battle? Did some real working on it, spent time, took a lot of time off, just worked on it, and really came up with 10 critical fights, but of the most critical fights, it's the media one. It's the media battle. And here we're seeing that now. This is, so I went back to school to go back and study this, to encapsulate it, found myself in school studying communication at a school that I thought would kick me out because I was going to question everything that they're doing. It was a big media school. And I uh, studied there. And in the middle of that, asked the question. I thought I was going to do my research on, on the uh, Middle Eastern situation. But I asked the question, what up the Amish? Amish, they don't do media, do they? I don't know. I know nothing about the Amish. I didn't know Amish were Anabaptists. I didn't know Anabaptists existed. I thought the Anabaptists were something in the 1500s were gone. And so I asked the question, what about the Amish? I don't know. I must find Amish. Where are the Amish? I don't know. Google. Where are the Amish? I found something. Something came back. That there were these Amish in Washington, D.C. And they are beachy Amish. And I go, beachy? Which beach? <laughs> I did. I thought, well, they must be by the ocean. Well, I like the beach, so went down there. Anybody know Fellowship Haven in Washington, D.C.? Miss Gertie Troyer? I went down. I only lived about 15 minutes away. I lived in the middle of Washington at the time. Went down there, visited her, went in. Are you? What are you, Yomish? And I had to ask her a bunch of questions. Media, divorce and remarriage. Is it true? Is it true there's someone else who believes this? I couldn't believe it. And then asked her uh, lots of other questions. So, but uh, she, uh, she was really a, somewhat of a lifeline to us. Taught, taught us so much. At that point in time, I was done with, I was done with organized church at that time. So, again, I'm trying to condense this down. And we had done house church. We, I'd done all sorts of things. At this point, we just decided I could never join a church again this point. Because if I joined a church, I had to believe in their stands. And every church I knew of took a stand for divorce and remarriage. I, I can't join that. So we, we decided to just go to church and witness people. Funny place to go witnessing. But. Okay. Yeah. And through that, started discussing the media and then started asking um, being asked to speak on it. So let's get into the content of the message. I appreciate the hymn you chose tonight. Just three years ago, I was in Germany. We were in Germany. Julie and I went over there. We were working in, in Germany, in Dresden, and working with Iranian refugees. And we visited the Wartburg, Wartburg? Anybody know what the Wartburg is? Wartburg? I, I, I visited the Wartburg back in the 90s, just after the communism fell. Wartburg is where Hitler, I'm Hitler. Oh, wrong. Warp, Luther. 
Luther. Okay, Luther was hiding out and translated scripture into German, and it's on a big precipice, big mountain. There's Wartburg, it's a, and it's, it's on this, this castle there. And a castle on a hill, and a mighty fortress is our God. And you sing it after you've been there, it's fascinating. And uh, what's interesting about the Wartburg, who, who's been to the Wartburg? Anybody been to the Wartburg? Interesting. There's four things about the Wartburg. Why am I off topic tonight? No, it didn't take long at all. One is Roman Catholicism. They, they talk about a lady, St. Elizabeth, who was like a Mother Teresa, they, who lost her husband in the Crusades, and she blew up. Okay. Two, they talk about this great room on the top. It's a red and black room, red, black, and gold room, where the 200th anniversary of the Reformation, the German youth chose the German flag. Pretty interesting. Three, they have a room where Martin Luther. And then four, there's a fourth thing. I didn't know it the first time I went there. There's a tower in the back. The South Tower, it protects the valley, whatever, it's a tower. Then I read German. I spoke German. I was pretty fluent in German. I can't read real well. But enough that I was reading all the signs in German. It's Fritz Eber, the Wiedertaufer. Wiedertaufer? Wiedertaufer, somebody? Wiedertaufer. Anabaptist. Anabaptist. Who died in that tower. Six years in the dungeon of that tower. There's actually more. When you walk, if you walked into the, the, the Wartburg, and before going into the building, you would see more information Fritz Eber, the Anabaptist who died in that tower, than you would about Martin Luther. Very interesting to see that. Anyways. But why do I think that him? You saying? Because I want to do, I want to set the stage for my discussion tonight. I set the stage different ways, and I have lots and lots of media, I mean lots of messages and lots of papers and all this stuff. And I, I'm going, I don't want to just recite stuff that I recited before. I go, Lord, what? Lord, what? I tell you sometimes, <coughs> it's Lord, what? All the way to right here. Lord, what? Let's face it. Let's get real. Let's get real. The one word I want to put as a context for tonight's discussion the word is war. It's war. I don't want to talk war. I want to talk fun. I want to talk happiness. Togetherness. No. You know, we, we, we've got to come to grips with this war. My readings, where my readings are this morning, I'm reading in Acts chapter 3, the man who gets healed, first time you see that, that Peter and Paul are actually taking on the nature of Christ and healing people doing this. Okay, okay? And I could go through, I, I wrote pages and pages just on that. 
but I want to jump from that for a moment where this man is healed and amazing in that temple and he's he's hanging. It's, I mean, you look at it, there's words in there you never see before. He's like hanging on to those guys. And the people are, people are running, running to him in the temple, running to see what is this. And, it's the, and he said, it's, it's faith in Christ. It's not us. It's faith in Christ. And he tells them who Christ is, who you killed. God raised up. Now you repent and believe in him. It's this amazing story. But what happens in chapter 4, or at the end of chapter 3, they lay hold of him, those two. And when they, they have, they have a, a council, and Annas, the high priest, and they, they grab them, and he, he tells them again, this stone that you, you know, that the builders rejected, he, he gives it to them again, and they basically uh, go to, they tell them to stop in verse 19 of chapter 4, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, ye judge ye. We cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people for all glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old. So then they, when they let them go to their own company, back to the, back to the people, back to the disciples, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, by whom the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ, and for a truth against his holy, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand, thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Stop right there. I, I consider this the first war council, the council. They got it. They got it. It's war. They, they Pentecost, whoa, speaking in languages and praising God, the people coming, and whoa, and they go out again, and whoa, they heal a guy, and all these people in the temple, whoa, it's, a, it's an amazing story. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. And then, bam. The godless leadership, the godless leader, almost activated, to me, almost activated by Satan. Stop this. 
stop it now. And they took it. This threatenings. The threatenings, we don't know what the threatenings were. I think I know what they were. Death. Death. You do this, we kill you. They came back. Otherwise, they said, you know, do this and we might have to call you back in again or we'll, get, we'll write you a ticket. Man, give you a penalty. They wouldn't have cried out to God like that. They said, God, the, the whole world is warring. It, it's war. It's war. They cried out to God. It's war against you. The, the whole world is against Christ, against you, against your Christ, and now against us. Now we're getting it. And that's what they say. Now, Lord, Behold thy, the, their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy, son, thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Is, is this place shaken? Have, have you been shaken? And they were assembled together. When I see that assembled together, man, I have a military background. It's like assembly. We have one of our words, assemble. Assemble, ready. It's like when they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. They went right to war. No retreat. No hiding. No still in the land. You're in war. You can deny it. You're in war. It's war. It's war against you. It's war against God. It's war against humanity. Satan hates any, all humanity. He especially hates those that name the name of Christ. And his tactics, his strategy, generally the same, I think. I think my his tactics change all the time. Strategies. Generally. What's a strategy? Scare you. Distract you. With other things. Fool you. Deceive you. If you can't do all that, destroy you. And that's what this is about. This is where we're in the middle of a war. It's the communication information battle, which militaries have been doing since the beginning of militaries. It's part of the military. It's the information, the communication, the deception, the propaganda. It's all part of war. It's been there since Sun Tzu. I'm reading a little bit of Sun Tzu again. You know, from, what, 4,000 years ago? Here it is. We're in the middle of war. Nothing new under the sun. 
technology. I'll get to it. Toy? You've heard these, you've heard these little trite sayings. Toy? You know, lots of inventions starts off, they start off as toys. Totally interesting. Wow. Wow, look at the cool what I'm doing. This is interesting. I can communicate. I can, wow, I can shoot this, I can make this thing launch, and they go from toy for pleasure, for curiosity, fun. They can they can do. But once you find out they can harm, who? Or or change things. They go to a tool to overcome human limitations to benefit. Uh, tool. And ultimately, to weapon. To weapon. And I think we've seen the toy. We see the tool. I think we completely misunderstand, underestimate the weapon, the weaponization. We, we know it's kind of, we don't understand it weaponization, to kill, to destroy, you know, lots of tools. Like it, it can be, it can be both. It can be a toy, like a gun, a gun, oh, it can be fun, good for varmints, bad for people. It gets weaponized, it becomes a weapon. Only because of time, I'm not going to go into scriptures that you can look. I, I could just go scripture after scripture. When you think from a war aspect, what's there? Of course, the first one everybody jumps to is Ephesians 6. Of course, we, re we wrestle not, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, of the darkness, the holders of the system. That's what rulers, holders of the system of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. This doesn't mean, oh, we've got a bunch of silly little devils and then we've got a big silly devil running around, poking a, a, a pitchfork running around. No. Sinister, organized darkness, planning, hating, conniving, pulling strings <clears throat> against Christ and against his people. Deliberate. Oh, little devils. No. No. Kingdom. Massive kingdoms against you. <clears throat> Second Corinthians six. Again, I except for time, I could go through verse by verse. It is so oriented towards a war that we're in. It's astounding. The military language in here. Receive not the, the grace of God in vain, the equipment that supplies for the battle, the grace of God. 
He says, in the acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, because of evangelicalism, we all say, today is the day of get saved. Repent and get saved. It's all about the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You need to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now because it says today's the day. And I heard that. I was part of that movement. No, today's the day of salvation. Rescue. Victory in a war. That's what the salvation is. Victory winning. This is our salvation. Your soul is included in that, but it's God's salvation. That's what it's about. Victory. We give no offense in anything that our ministry not be blamed. Not battling with carnal or fleshly weapons. Application of that. Sorry, I, 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 you have to take it from there. It's, it's strong. Warlike language about the war we're in unto victory. Revelation 13. I, 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 again, I, I can't go through each one for time's sake. It was granted to him, verse 7, to make war with the saints. And to overcome them. And authority was given over to him. Over to every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is a commissioning of satanic power down to fight against the people of God. And again, they overcome him by the by the blood of the uh, by the blood of the Lamb, it's this battle back. We war not according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. For Second Corinthians ten, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. It doesn't say we do not war. It says we do not war according to the flesh. We war. It's war. Wait, you're in a war. We're in a war. Yes, we can be, we can have tremendous joy in this war, tremendous friendships, tremendous happinesses in this world that intended for joy for us. Yes, but it's a war. You have enemies out to wreck you, destroy you. Casting down arguments, the Greek propositional syllogistic rhetoric and reasoning, it's put into the media messages. This is the arguments that are all out there that are convincing our young people to depart. It's working. It's in there. It's in the media. It's there. It's, it's in the search engines. It's all in there. It's all planted in there. And you're getting exposed to the media. You're playing in the media. You're exposed to those arguments. They're all snuck in. They're not in the open. They're behind. They're all underneath there. I spoke, I spoke at a uh, conference in Texas in, uh, earlier this year. Heritage Homestead invited me down there to speak. Pretty large group. And I tried, was trying to explain some of this. And the weaponization of all things communication. Pretty much all things. All things internet weaponized now. How, how even when you type in a couple of letters, like, I, you know, you know, 
re r e l and you want to type in like religion how it'll go to something else they they put in there in the algorithm no avoid and go to something else like trans something and and i was trying to explain to them it's, it weaponized against you even your the fill in the the fill in the words there are working against anything good all for bad and i had a i had a man come up to me afterwards Muslim, you become a Christian. Whole career, Amazon, writing algorithms for Amazon. You don't know the half of it. I'm glad you said it. You don't know the half of it. They play games. These 23-year-olds play games, putting algorithms in, in the code, and then they watch the, all, the, all of the, the searches change and people buy different things. They just, it's fun to these 23-year-olds who just change and shift all the people that are online, playing online. It's fun. It's sport to them. And a second, another techie came up to me afterwards, separately, it came up to me and said, whoa, let me tell you something. You don't know the half of it. It's weaponized. Those that are in it know it's weaponized. Okay, I'm going to, maybe I'll come back later. I just don't have time. Let's get to the, let's get to some, some of the issues then. Come back to that. How many of you have heard this statement in your life? Don't make me come down there. How about, don't make me stop this car? Is that good? Does that mean something nice is going to happen? For me, that was like, oh, no. You didn't want the car to stop, but the start, car started slowing down. That, uh-oh. When I was in... Uh, when I was in Sudan, one of the, they're, they're a, they're a uh, it was in, uh, an oral tribe, had no written language, and we were working on trying to create a written language for them. Very interesting time in observing communication and the way people work in this tribe. It was a very interesting time, and I had, had learned how valuable stories were, so I was always trying to use storying. I would just have to, I would go to a place and I would tell them Kawaja has a story and they would stop what everybody stop and next thing you know you've got two hundred people around you to hear a story really fascinating time and I, I what I would do is I would say I have a story and the, the question I I want to answer the question I want to answer is why is life so hard to these people because half their tribe was killed in the war that I, I told you about and death was everywhere. And so I would tell them a story. I'd start. I'd start with a long story. But I'd start with Eden, God creating, and I would go through the fall of man. And the next thing you know, we have death, murder, and 
how God was dealing with people. And it got so bad, he wiped them out, started again. But this time, changed the rules, changed things. And he would, his relationship was changing. And finally, that didn't work. Languages, I went through and explained. I'm not going to explain it to you now. Until finally, it got to a point where it got so bad, in a sense, it got so bad. What happened? He came down here. He came down. Okay? And this is a marvelous concept for the believer that the, the Orthodox Christian who understands that the Lord God of the universe who spoke the worlds into existence, infinite, almighty, holy, came down and put feet on the, on the earth. An amazing situation. We go to Matthew 28, with that context in mind, I want to emphasize one aspect of this in order to give us a lens through which to look at what we are doing to media and what media is doing to us. It's an important concept, and then I will get to other aspects of this. So if you go to, I'm sorry, not Matthew 28, Matthew 22, I, I apologize there. Matthew 22. We'll come back to Matthew 28 later. Time here. In verse 41, I'm sorry, verse uh, 34. So when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, came and asked him a question, tempting him, saying, stop right there. Okay? We have a situation where Jesus has been dealing with these leaders. Do you see? Jesus, Lord God Almighty, came to the earth, and then he came to his people, and then here we have he came to the leaders. He's right there talking to the leadership and then the leadership here, this small representation of them, asked him this question there. Master, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, of course, it says they were tempting him, trying to trap him, trying to do something with him. I'm convinced they were going to play games with him because we had, they were thinking of one of the capital commandments, adultery or... Her what heresy? What, are, what, what, what is it? If they, they were going to play with him. Of course, he gives that unbelievable answer. But before he gave that answer, let's, let's reformulate this, this situation. We have the Lord God of the universe standing on the earth. And we, in a sense, get to ask him through this. Lord God, what is number one? What is the most important command? What is most important, God? I think we should listen, yes? Let's listen. Then he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Of course, he's reciting Deuteronomy 6, 4. 
And I, I surmise this down to one word, okay? And I ask the question, people ask this question, the big one over the world, what's the big? What's the purpose? Why are we here? I think we have it. I think we have it right here. The purpose. I see this. The purpose and context and duty of life is relationships. It's relationships. It's relationship with God, heart, soul, strength, mind, everything, everything in our being. We love him, interact with him, communicate with him, listen to him, call upon him, plead with him, cry to him. It's walk with him. It's relationship with him. It's relationship. And the second one is with others. First four commandments. What are they about? God. Second six commandments. Others. It's, it you know, almost makes the cross. And by the way, this is a fantastic witnessing tool. You talk to parents out there about media. I tell them, let me, let me tell you how I look at it. I go, I ask this question. What do you think God put us here for? And you go through and I explain that. Many, many conversations with people. Talking to them about, about media. I say, this is, this is the issue. This is what it's about. I actually got called back to speak at a public high school at their graduation about this topic. Public high school. So it's relationship. And here's the uh, few aspects of that. Purpose and context of duty. God created us for relationships and put in us things that relate to relationship. Now, in the 12th century, there was a King Frederick, and he had a he had a question. There's a there's a term for it. I forgot the term was. There's some crazy Latin term for this question, and it has, has to do with children when they're growing up. What language will they speak first? He wanted to know. So he took a, a group of children, there were unparents and children or something. He took them together and he, he made a, a rule that these children nobody will talk to. I want to know what language comes out of them spontaneously. Will it be German? Will it be Arabic? Will it be Greek or will it be Hebrew? Because those are the only four languages there were to him. That's all there were, just those four. Secluded him. You know what language they spoke? Never found out. They all died. And then in World War II, 1945, 45, 46, there's a man named John Boldy, Bowlby, and he was working with the children. The refugee, the, yeah, I'm sorry. 
children without parents. What? Yeah, the orphans. Why? Where'd that word go? It left. The orphans. The thousands and thousands of orphans. And they were dying. And he couldn't keep them alive. And he did an experiment you could never do ever again. He took a group of them, well, two groups, identical groups as best he could, feed, clothe, hold them, cuddle them, everything he did. Feed, clothe, wash, don't hold them, don't talk to them, don't do anything, just see the difference. 100% died. We, we have in us a God-given need, a vital need for relationship, vital. They're trying to make, the people that are trying to make solitary confinement illegal because it's too cruel. It's too cruel. Because in a, in a prison, the one way to get a hold of someone and get them under control, solitary confinement, gets them, gets them, gets them under control. Something in us. It's a need for relationship. I can go on. There's lots of, lots of aspects to that. But what's, what's the, the important issue is that the tools we have for relationship, he's given us the tools. These communication tools are for relationship. Primarily, before the fall, that's the main thing that Adam did, was relationship, relationship with God, relationship with creation, then relationship with his wife, was relationship. It wasn't about earning, building, Defending, or wasn't it that? It was relationship and all our tools. That's what they're about. Our eyes, the primary ones, are the visual and the oral, the ears and the mouth. Like, for instance, when I'm talking, when you're, if I'm talking to you and someone's looking out the window, and, what's going on here? I'm not connecting because this is a relationship. And the the main issue here is that we came up with all sorts of communication technology. And people ask, what is, what, is, what is technology? What is media? Of course, media is the, the plural of medium. But I think I've got some fancy definitions here, which I've already scattered around. And one of the big ones was by Marshall McLuhan. He's a fa pretty famous guy who started to see the problems with television. Medium is any extension of ourselves, any new technology that overcomes limitations. It's the tools we use, limitations. We have all sorts of limitations on this earth. And we're trying to always use tools to, to make our work easier, but our our communication, we decide to use tools to, to write something or etch it on a rock or a bunch of paper. Now, internet is, these are all tools to extend ourselves, to spread ourselves, to get things out there, or to remember. One is the communication, and the other one is the memory. Those, those two aspects of, of technology. But the issue is our eyes, our ears. Touch, of course, is you know, put your arm around someone. It's, it, it's, those are communication tools. The issue is that technology <clears throat> works on our relational tools. It begins to affect our 
relationships, when those tools, which are meant for relationship, are used for other things. They're, they start to affect us. Since the beginning of starting to use technology, actually, the, the impact of media technology didn't start last year or two years ago with the internet or with television. It started a long time ago, and I can give you the history of it. It's that we're in this phase now where it's moving so fast, the changes are so fast, and the, the impact on our relationships is greater and greater and greater as technology is improving. So here's the, the deal. Information technology now, especially when it came to this point in time where we went into the, into the, um, the information age, information age, which began really with electronic techn technology, which starting in the 1840s, believe it or not, with the telegraph. Telegraph was the beginning of all this era that we're in now. And it, and it, and it grew with all the technologies, uh, with the phonograph, actually chemical photography, um, radio, and television, and on up. The issue that I want to get across is this, that this electronic, especially electronic entertainment media, especially, they all have their effect, but especially electronic entertainment media, where it can be electronically recorded, adjusted, worked on, improved, transmitted, blasted, increased from this to gigantic, all that electronic entertainment, and entertainment does not necessarily mean, for, for my context, not, not just that it is a comedy or something, but it grips us in a way that we like watching it. We just, oh, I'd rather watch that than read. Oh, oh. it's because there's an entertainment aspect to it. There's a reward system effect in entertainment. It's a dopamine effect where we, oh, we're stimulated, but we gotta keep watching. I'd rather watch this for school than listen to my teacher. Is it entertainment? No, it's not. Well, it is entertainment. It's entertainment media. It's, entertain it's electronic entertainment media. Electronic entertainment media, when you are watching it, observing it, playing with it, video games, I call that electronic entertainment communication. That's a different, a little bit different, but it's in the same, same bucket there. You are falsely satisfying your relational needs. Your physiology is, you, your physiology spends a lot of its time, maybe most of its time going, who's there for me? Who can I interact? You're designed for that. You're designed at a human level and at a spiritual level. Animals don't have the spiritual level. We have that. But you're, you're looking for it. And when, you're, when your physiology, your, your communication portals see something, they see especially two eyes. They go to it. Two eyes and a smile. Oh, you're, you're attracted to it. Sometimes you'll see two eyes, you'll see two, you'll see two things somewhere in your eyes. Oh, is that a person? Oh, no, it's just because you're, you're, you're created for relationship. And the deal is, this media falsely satisfies relational needs. So your physiology 
is saying, I want people. I want to talk to people. And then, but it's on a box, either a big box or a little box. And it's speaking to me. And your physiology is going, yes, this is, this is what I like. Oh, God, physiology. Oh, I, oh, oh yeah. sit and watch. And your physiology is going, yes, I'm enjoying. This is what I want. I'm enjoying falsely satisfying because this is not a person. You are designed to have a relationship with people, not devices, and not false people, created images. Created images. Sounds like something, doesn't it? What does that sound sort of like? I don't know, yeah. This smacks up right next to it. I'll talk to you about that later. So your physiology is oriented towards this. Little babies coming out of the womb. They're looking for that. It's in your design. And we have little devices and big devices now that meet our relational needs. So here's the point that this media, this, this is the number one. Before, if, you get, if you get nothing else from me coming here, that this media falsely satisfies relational needs and desires so that one can do without real relationships, without real interaction, and does not feel a need to relate to a human. In other words, you watch this, whether it's this or this big screen, whatever it is, or this or the game, whatever it is, you do that, you're filled up like eating. It's like eating. You're hungry for people. I get this, and I eat, and it's, it's like being starving. Coming home. Ever come home starved? Huh? Starving? What's the first thing you do when you come in the house when you're starving? Go to the refrigerator, right? Yes, Mom? To the refrigerator, yes? And instead of going and waiting for Mom to sit down and have dinner, dinner for you, oh, I torture my mom. I, if I just said the word McDonald's, she would... <laughs> you went to McDonald's? I'm cooking. Instead of having a meal, like eating, eating two or three boxes of Twinkies. When you're hungry, you eat them. Good for you? No. This is the number one issue here we have to deal with. And this, those of you who do any sort of evangelism or interacting with the outside, when you see them and they could care less about you, they're no interest in talking to you. I'm telling you, I've been in the high school system. I've worked with youth groups and years of doing this, and when I see the ones that could care less about you, they cover other aspects of the coolness. I've just, I've come and asked them, tell me, what are the hot TV shows? Oh, they start talking. Tell me about the video games. Oh, they talk. The movies. Oh, the videos. Oh, they the ones that were super relational when I go into these youth groups. They were paying attention and want to talk to you afterwards. They're interested in you. What's, 
tell me about television. My mom, don't we, we don't know. We're not allowed to have television. Not in our home. What about video? No, not in my home. The homeschool, typically the homeschool families. This is outside of the, the Mennonite. It's, it's one for one correlation. I, the, I don't know what further to do. The point is, you could, they, it, it turns people, it creates an attitude that they can be alone and ignore important relationships. That's the, that's the number one. And I can go on and on about that. The, the illustrations about being hungry and, and I'll give you an application right, right, right from the beginning, especially for the young people. Make yourself, make yourself into a relational being. Make yourself into a relational being. You know how you do that? Stay away from the media. Make yourself hungry. I do this myself. Done it for years. Especially when I was exploring this. This is before my Mennonite days. I got off television decades ago. Changed who I was getting off television. Shocked everybody. Everybody just couldn't believe it. Just people come to my house and just couldn't believe I had a television. They go, I'm going to find it. I know it's in the house somewhere. Got off television. Got off movies. Eventually got off radio. And I did it in the latter parts because I realized it changed me. I realized I, I want to be a relational person. And the more I stay off media, I learned this, the more I'm hungry for people and everybody. I want to talk to anybody. At one point, I was, I condensed it down. I was working on a house, a house I bought in my 20s. I was fixing it up. So I was by myself for weeks. And I was pushing myself off of media, got off media. This is, this is about 15 years ago. And I was relationally starved. And every now and then, I'd have to go to Lowe's. You know what they have at Lowe's? People. It was like a buffet. There were people everywhere. I couldn't believe it. And so I became, I had forced myself to be super hungry. And I'd talk to anybody. And I found they have this one thing. Lowe's. It's an amazing thing. There it is. Name tags. And so I, I would have the best time. And I, it's, I created this habit in me. I can't. I can't break the habit now. When I see a name tag, I, I get the name, and I love to say the name of the person. So I'd be in line, put up in line, and to buy something, you know, Lowe's, and person after person, and I'd come up, I'd go, hello, Nancy, and all Nancy would, oh, was shocked when someone said the name. <laughs> and I started doing that everywhere. And I knew, I knew all of Lowe's. You know, they have stand-up meetings, they go, hey, Harry, you want to join us? You know? <laughs> And I, I, and I, uh, I was work at, at, at Panera. I call myself Panera site, you know. Like, <laughs> I like reading at Panera. First thing, I'm, I'm there at the door waiting to get in in the morning. Five in the morning, waiting to go in there. I love my coffee and read. And I did the same thing. I thought all their names. I knew all their names. And then one of the, one of the, one of the teachers goes, hey, uh, one of the uh, ladies working there, you're always studying. What are you studying? At this point, I was just beginning my really intense studies, you know, book-wise. I go, oh, I'm studying media. And she goes, does that include, uh, that include video games? I go, oh, yeah. Why do you ask? Oh, it's destroying all our marriages. And so I, I, go, to, I go to Mike, the, uh, the owner. Or, I'm sorry, the uh, manager. I go, Mike, yeah, yeah, Harry, what? Leon, you named it. I'm just a person who goes there and gets coffee in the morning. 
and I said, you know, would you, would you mind if I maybe interviewed some of the ladies here? They, uh, and he goes, about what? And I go, about video games? He goes, no problem, start with her. <laughs> it's like this one. But my, I, I told that long story there. But it's because I make myself, I try to make myself relationally hungry. I cut myself off. When I fast, ooh, put it away. Put, put as much as you possibly can, put it away. Make yourself hungry. Because I tell the story, my wife doesn't like it. But when I travel without my wife, guess how much I call her? To the point I get in trouble, I don't call her. I say, no, I'm away, we're gone. I, I, minimal. Why? You know what it does to me? Distance makes the heart grow fonder. And it does. It makes me, oh, I can't, I want to talk. If I just tell her every day after meeting was this or all day, I get there, oh, yeah, so what? But when I, when I haven't seen her for a while, I made myself really hungry for her. I want to sit down, let me tell you what happened. I want to tell you. And she gets the full of who I am. Oh, I've been going for a while here, haven't I? All right. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Everybody stand up. Hands up. Hands up. On your toes. Higher. Let's sit down. All right, second point I want to get to. Media effects. This media that, that now we're discussing is so potent. The stimulation that it put out. We have to, we have to deal with that. Part of the beginning of my, of my I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to manage my time here. Part of, part of the, the beginning of my really understanding what was going on is when I was teaching a Sunday school class, I had about 40 high school students from a public high school, and the, the uh, youth leader had just handed over to me when I, I came there. This is in Kansas. And um, I was working so hard at trying to, to, to teach them uh, the scripture, and I was, I would, I, that's what I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be a, a youth pastor. That's what my, my thought was when I get out of the army, I'll be in. And I was taking college classes and stuff like that on, on youth ministry and like, yeah, yeah, with Young Life Institute. And yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I had stacks of youth workbooks. And, and so I'm teaching this class while all these students are all sitting on the floor. And I just, I would do these classes. I just thought I was doing so good. And then one night after they, after I gave this message and it was over and then they had a, a whole table filled with sugar, you know, for the children to go eat sugar and go home and torture their parents, and they got home, right? One of them said something to another one, and didn't know I was standing behind her, and she says, yeah, you know, Harry's getting boring. I heard that. <laughs> boring. Well, you know, in pop culture, the first and great commandment, thou shalt not be bored. And the second commandment, like unto the first, is thou shalt not be boring. And I, I heard that, and I was, Whoa, what? And I got mad. And this really, I had already been thinking a lot about what was going on with these students, but this really made me think hard. And I came back the next week, and uh, I came back the week, next week. Unfortunately, I was angry when I came back. I was still angry. I was all angry all week. I'd be accused of being boring. And uh, so I came there, and I had to, I go, I had two 
railroad ties. I'm like, you know what these are? And they go, yeah. What? They go, oh, like Jesus' hands, you know, yeah. And I saw it all the more. This board looked like you're boring me. I saw it. And I went, no, they're railroad. They're from the railroad. I was running down there, and I told a story about how when I was a child, anybody put nickels on, on railroad tracks? Yes? We used to do that as a child in Upper State New York. And we put our ear on the, I remember we put our ear on the track to listen to the, to feel it, to feel the vibration. And lo and behold, the train was coming, and I stood up and put my nickels, and the train was right there. Came around the corner, and you know what happened? When, it, when I'm sitting there, and I was telling the students still, I, I pulled out an air horn. I went, bah! <laughs> And they're like, ah. And I said, you know, I'm here trying to get you off of the path of judgment of the living God who's coming at you like a, like a freight train. I'm here trying to wake you up, and all you can think is that I'm not entertaining. And I said, you know, I am not television. I'm not MTV was the big program then. I don't have a million dollar budget. I don't have cameras that can record myself and parse it and change the lighting and put all this thing together. By the way, the Army sent me to Hollywood and I learned about all that. The Army sent me to Hollywood to study. Unbelievably, they did this to me. I went there in the middle of Hollywood. It took a class with the, the media producers and understood how that worked. I don't have the budget to do that. I'm sorry, I'm real. This is all you get. And I'm not, I cannot compete, and I will not compete. There was a real change in my mind. I'm not going to do this. And the issue I, I bring up is this super stimulation that comes out. These little devices and the big devices put out so much relational stimulation that your system can't handle it. It overwhelms, not just content information. It puts out so much content information that your logical abilities are overwhelmed. You can't have any, um, you, you can't have any critical thought. It's like a machine gun of, inf of information and little stories and false facts coming at you that you can't have a critical thought. You can't think about it. And what happens is you accept it. You finally say, it's just the way it is. And this is part of this, you know, you're, we've got this postmodern age that we're in. Anybody, postmodern, post anybody heard of postmodern? Postmodern, meaning there's no right and wrong. There's no real anything. Everything is relative and gravity. Everything, there's, who knows, go into another situation, everything changes. That's because the population has been pounded with information, so much, so much false information that they can't critically think about it, respond to it, they just accept it. Okay, so that's one aspect. The second is, and the more important one is, that you're being blasted with relational information, relational stories that are coming at you that you can't digest, and it completely raises, raises your um, threshold for what is good, what, to, what feels good to listen to or watch. Okay, so I'm, I'm sort of mixing two together, but I'll... I'll put it another way. It, the, the electronic entertainment media that comes out now, little device, big device, earphones, video game, super stimulates your relational tools to the point that the threshold for relational satisfaction is too high 
for a human to attain or satisfy. Raising the level of relational satisfaction to the point a human cannot satisfy. In other words, when you're consuming media, whether it's the news, or documentary, or movie, or whatever it is, it's designed to be stimulating, to keep your attention. Number one goal of media is keep your attention. Not inform you. Keep your attention. And it grabs you, and it's far more exciting than life. Far more stimulating and exciting than life. If it wasn't, you wouldn't watch it. You'd watch life. No, when you're in the, when you go to the restaurant, there it is. It catches your eye, and because it's more, more stimulation is coming out of it than the person across from you. Yes. yes. This stimulation, this raising of the bar, affects you to the point that people become starts with a B. Boring church becomes boring. Life itself becomes boring. Yes. Number one indicator of young people on media is use of that word. Looking at life, see. See young people with a bored look. To me, it's, is it true? Is it always 100%? Almost. Almost media use. Almost 100%. But it's a few situations where I saw the, the bored look and, and what was going on, and it was maybe, maybe, maybe out of time, I'll tell you those. A little, little bit different. Experiment with that. It exhausts our relational capabilities. This stimulation, you can't handle it. Just like I said, you can't process the stimulation that comes out of these devices. It's so condensed and compact. Like I said, I watched how they do this, especially in entertainment. And only the best, the most stimulating stuff makes it to the top of the YouTube. When you click on YouTube, that comes up. It's the most stimulating, the most exciting, not the most boring. It exhausts our relational capabilities to the point that human interaction is wearisome and a burden. That's another indicator. Like, oh. no. I'm going to step into another point just for a moment. I'll come back to this. I want to finish this up. I just need you for a second. It has to do with perception of reality. Perception of reality, I'm going to develop it in a few minutes, but right now I just want to step into it for a moment. Maturity. What is maturity? What is maturity? It's funny. What is funny words? We know what it is, but what is it? Tell me what it is. Well, for my sake tonight, maturity is a correct perception of reality. For the aspect of what we're talking about tonight, a correct perception of reality. Correctly understanding what life is about. Like an eight-year-old understands life about twice as much as a four-year-old. They're more mature. They understand. They've been around seen it. 
an 80-year-old to a 40-year-old. You go to the 80-year-old and say, look, tell me what you think, because they have a maturity that the 40-year-old doesn't have. So, young people, when they are consuming media, again, whether it's the little cartoony things or on on through the documentaries, whatever they are. Their immaturity is that they don't understand that the things they're watching are not real. They're not real. They don't know that. It's re as real as can be to them. As real as if it's real. And it doesn't... People don't really step out of that, in my estimation, to really in almost 18 or 19 in, in pop culture. And so especially the worst years are where they're in their the 14, 12 to 14-year-old range. They, they see stuff and they believe that that's the way the world is in their immaturity. And this is one of the things I dealt with because I worked with junior high youth also. And this, the whole, I hate to say, I don't want to get into this youth work business topic, but the click, my people, no. They actually, when they watch media, they super identify with the characters as if they're real. And that's their group. And if they can find someone else who likes that group, that's their group. And this is their in-group that they, they develop. It's a sociological, very, very interesting sociological area. And when working with people, again, from the evangelism field or just working, interacting with people, especially young people, you'll find these four aspects that I just talked about now, which are indicators of the media. One is they don't need, they don't need you. They don't need anybody. They're satisfied. There's no joy in talking to a stranger. I could care less or an adult, I could care less, I could care less, I, I'm, I got my own. That's because they're, they've relationally satisfied themselves with false beings through a false medium. They've met their racial needs. Second is that you're boring. You're just boring. Because they've been so stimulated by this business that their threshold for racial satisfaction is too high, you can't meet it, you'll never meet it. For a while, I, I discovered in the inner city, I lived in the inner city and worked in the inner city, and I went to a, spoke at a church once, and I was trying to talk to this youth group, inner city church, and I was trying to tell them, oh, what I, how do I connect with them? So I tried to tell them some stories about my athletic stuff. I was a football player, and I, I coached football, and I, and I, I used to ride a motorcycle. Actually, I was was riding a motorcycle and woke up in a helicopter. Okay, you know what that means, yeah. And then, what am I doing here? You know, like, uh, everything I told them. Uh, and then I realized I'm a, I'm a BMW. You know what that is? Bald, middle-aged, white guy. It didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter, because they were conditioned. And I, I couldn't overcome that. I'm just not as exciting as what they're... That's why they asked me to come to speak to these children because they're so hypermediated. The inner city is, is that. I couldn't, I couldn't overcome that. 
And they have that, when I, you see that bored look, like, like I'm tired. Bored, I could care less about it, I'm tired. And the second is, I got my, you know, you, the way you look, the way you dress. Uh, that's what cool is. That's cool. There's cool. Go to countries where there's no media, no cool. All right, another point here. Okay to keep going? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's discuss real quick. Scientist, I am not neuro anything. I just read. I can read about it, learn about it. It's fast. The brain's fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a bottom line layman's view from a layman of of the brain, with with respect to how media affects us. Okay, so I'm going to give you just enough to, to sort of get an idea of, of, of the way it works. One way it works. There are a couple of books I can recommend on this. The way your brain works, your brain's got about 100 billion neurons. Neurons are brain cells which can hold electrical charge and connect electronically. Electronically, they connect. And, they, and your brain basically, in layman's terms, sets up wiring networks. Okay? And when, you, when your brain has a, a, a neural network, that's what it's called, a wiring network, in a certain pattern, your mind, mind, which is, there's a lot of discussion about this, is somewhat outside your brain or in your brain looking at things. And the, the neuroscientists have a hard time figuring out what this is. But pretty much what you do is you look at these patterns and you get meaning from looking at the pattern, the neural network. Okay? So it means something. So when you, the way they're created is when you have a thought or you experience something or through your relational tools, information comes in, your brain creates like a, a neural network, and it can be, you know, something like that. And it, it's a path, a path like that, as he's connected. And, and, and the first time it creates it, it's like little teeny tiny, the teeniest tiny spider web. It's there. And then, but the more it gets used, it gets, it gets stronger. The more you see something or hear something or say something, it gets stronger and stronger to the point it will become like a big cable, like electrical cable. And, and your brain loves to just use what it already has. It doesn't like to recreate. It tries to be efficient. Don't recreate. Use what you have. If you can use it, good. Use it. And the more it's used, the faster it is, the more efficient it is. So that's sort of the way your brain works. Of course, it's like massive. It's, it's trillions of connections for each thought. But the first time you see it, you create a path, and that means something. Okay, so this is how your brain works. Now, here's what happens with, with information. So the first time you see something, I see something. Um, I, let me pick something out here. We'll use 
the bottle. The first time, as a child, you're like, what is this? And you play with it, and you build a little path for a bottle. And then when I'm walking around here, your brain is, and by the way, your brain is doing this billions of times a second. It sees something, and it asks, kind of asks three questions. It goes, what is that? You sees it, and it reaches into your memory. It reaches back there and goes, have I seen that? Yes, it's a bottle. I know what it is. How does it work? It, it holds liquid? It, yes, good. And then this, the third question, do you care? And I go, no, I don't care. So it says, forget it. Okay. So this is going on right now. For instance, as you're looking at me, your brain looks and it sees the bottle and it sees the microphone and it sees the board and it sees the door. It sees all those things. And it goes, what is that? That's a door. You can't, you know, you can't go. So it's saying, forget it, billions of times a second. You're looking up here and you go, what's that? It goes, it's a BMW. <laughs> hey, what's it doing? It's talking. Do you care? Well, no, yes, no. I'm trying to figure out, do I care? Okay, so it's doing this. And that's called meaning matching. And this is a main function of what your brain is constantly doing. What is something and how does it work? Okay, and it does all sorts of categorizing and stereotyping comes out of this, and your brain does this for survival and for efficiency and so on. But then there's a situation where, where you're, where something, something isn't in your memory. And I give the example. Uh, let's see if I can pick one out. I can pull them out, but I'll, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have, we're getting, we're getting into the. We're getting into the chicken stuff, okay? And uh, so, the BMW is up here talking, and as he's talking, uh, he's talking, and all of a sudden, a chicken, a chicken comes out here, and it, the chicken oh, pops up and decides to roost up there, and the BMW is talking away. And your brain is going, what's that? chicken. What's he doing? What do chickens do? Chickens are on farms. What's he doing in the church? Huh? I don't know. What's he doing in the church? And you go, do you care? Yes, I care. I care a lot. There's a chicken in the church. And nobody else is saying anything, and you're sitting there going, what's going on here? And your brain goes into a function called dissonance. Dissonance. Like, something's not right. Something's nearly not right. There's a chicken and there's a chicken roosting and the guy's talking and nobody's saying anything. And if nobody said anything, you go home and you lay it at night. You go, Why was there a chicken in church? And you'll be going, like, you wouldn't be able to sleep until finally you go into the second phase. The first phase is meaning matching. And you couldn't match it. You couldn't figure it out. So you have to go into the second phase, and that is meaning creation. So about two o'clock in the morning, you're gonna go, it's the BMW, it's his pet chicken. He brings it where he, where he goes, everybody in the whole church knew except for me. And Okay, I'm going to sleep. And I made my meaning. I created meaning. That's, that's meaning matching, uh, meaning creation. And then if I see what's wrong, right? We're just talking, and the chicken comes in. You go, what's that? Oh, it's a chicken. What's it doing? It's the BMW's chicken. It's his chicken. And you use the old memory. Stick it up there. And you're interpreting. Right? The old chicken. Do I care? Yes, I really care. I don't like it. But I don't understand it, but I don't understand it. But I, I'm enough. I'm going to listen to him. You know? So that's, now I've done sort of a ridiculous little process to illustrate the way your brain works. 
Now here's the important part of why I said this. You interpret reality through your memory. Do you understand that now? Do you see that? You're constantly pulling former memories and interpreting what you're seeing, what's going on, and trying to make sense of the world and get meaning out of the world. This is what you're constantly, not billions of times a second while you're looking at me, talking to me. It's going on. It's an amazing process, okay? What happens if I have bad, faulty, errant memories in my mind? I interpret reality incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Yes. If I fill myself with media, false media, memories, false events, false cause and effects, false beings, false values, false, 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 lots of them, in my memory, what happens to me? I interpret reality through a false database, a, a, an errant database. You see? My illustration, some of you have heard me and know what this, these illustrations, most, hopefully most of you have not. But I ask the question, what happens if I, if I hit someone on the head with a hammer? What happens? Does a bump go? And then stars go around it or birds? Who knows what I'm talking about? Anybody? What am I talking about? Cartoons. Cartoons. Because most, the vast, all, all Americans except for the Mennonites know this. They all know. <laughs> they all know that. They immediately, cartoons. And, and, and the other one is like, if, if, someone, if someone runs out into midair and they stand out there and go, oh, they look down and go, oh, then they fall. <laughs> Who knows? What's that from? Someone knows, I'm sure, someone. I, I, was, I was talking, I was giving a talk once, there was some guy with a big beard and suspenders, and, and he goes, beep, beep. He knew it was. It was Roadrunner, okay, this cartoon show. It turns out this guy was not from Anabaptist background. <laughs> okay, and uh, now my, my point is, for those of you that got it, uh, non-Anabaptist, they, uh, no, they laugh. They know exactly. As soon as I start going, does a bump go? Ooh, they immediately laugh. They know. Because it's all in their past. And I say, you know, when's the last, when's the last time you watched that and saw that? Oh, ooh, some of them, ooh, 55 years ago. So still, I could get them to reach into their past and interpret something completely wrong. A hammer to their head. It's damage like that. It's not. And their stories, Mike, growing up, there was always problems with children hitting their, their napping mother on the head. And when I was in Germany, I lived in Germany, I was fascinated. I, I used to hang out with lots of Germans. I used to go to a German church. I was really great, great period of my life. And, and one lady, a couple, they were uh, a teacher couple, invited me to go to the German school, elementary school. And I went in, it was really cool. They took me in, and then they told me the story. Ah, oh, Harry, I must tell you the problem we had one year. One year we come in and all the little boys, and this is back in the 80s, okay, this is like ancient times, in the 80s, 
And they said, one time, the little boys, they come and to school in September, and they are running around, and everything is a weapon. The ruler, they hit each other, the books, they throw, they push, they trip. They we go, what is going on? So we have a teacher's meeting, and they go, what is different this year than last year? And they said, oh, we found out. It was a television show called Tom on Cherry. <laughs> Tom on Cherry. And we watched Tom and Cherry, and we said, we know what the problem is. It's Tom and Cherry. And we told the parents, no Tom and Cherry. <laughs> and so the parents stopped Tom and Cherry, and problem solved. Because the children were all imitating. It's a violent, those of you who don't know, it's incredibly violent for children to watch it. Here's the point. I've just used cartoons as an example, a very simple illustration of the cartoons. But that's not the point, the major, most, that's not the dangerous point. The dangerous point of all of the stuff that's out there now on media, from the entertainment production to the The bad picture ones, how's that? The bad picture ones, yes? All that? To the political stuff? Election season right now? All the stuff that's out there? Pumping, trying to pump stuff into our minds so that we interpret reality away from reality. So we interpret it through media. So we. We went through a change somewhere over the last century where people used to interpret the arts through reality. Like when I, like there was a picture, you know, mountains and trees and a river, a beautiful picture. When I look at a picture, I would look at it, I see the mountain, I reach back and go, oh, mountain, trees. I would interpret the value of that picture through reality, the American public and most of the world now has transitioned to interpret reality through media. You see, through media. And I, I, I have so many stories, I don't have time to tell you the stories of dealing with this on the mission field, where they're looking at the dangerous mission field thinking, whoa, we're in a TV show. We're not on a TV show. This is dangerous. This is, this is serious business, but they're looking back because their minds have been filled, all their memory banks are media instead of reality. This is why you ask why people are crazy out there, because they've been programmed to be crazy through the media, you see? You consume media, and you are doing it. You're putting bad information into your, your tools for interpreting reality. Got that? This is an important issue. And even, oh, but it's a documentary. In, 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 in the world I'm in, the, the media world, they don't call them documentaries. They call them docudramas. Because if they took it and made it like it was real, it would be dead boring. It would be dead boring, and you would die watching it, sitting there, because the next thing he's just sitting at his desk thinking. You know, no, they compress it, condense it, excite it, put all sorts of flares on it, make it super exciting so you'll watch it and they can make money. 
And then you're like, why can't we live like they did back then when those people were so exciting? They weren't. Because it wasn't that way. It was pretty boring. Except for like five seconds before when he got caught, you know, or something like that. And then he got executed, you know. But the other time, he was just out doing normal life like you and I. But in order order for them to make money on their documentary series, they have to excite it all up. On this sort of funny one. Okay, so we, so I, you know, I went back to school. And there's this one professor who's like famous at the school. He's this British from Oxford, you know. And everybody wants to take his classes. And I, I never took any of his classes. But he, so, <laughs> so what are you studying? What are you working on? And I, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually doing research on the, on the Amish. A little bit. B.G. Amish, you know what that means. A little bit. He goes, Amish? So, have you seen the movie? You know the movie, right? What's that movie again? Amish in the City. No. What is it? Witness. 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 Have you seen Witness? And and the movie. No, I haven't. He goes, oh, well, don't even talk to me until you've seen the movie. I go, no, but I'm... I'm actually interacting with them. I've not met them. No, see the movie. The priority is on the media. Not I, I'm actually interacting, going and seeing them in their houses. You see, interpret reality through the media. This is the world. That's the world. Why it's so crazy out there? Okay. Okay, want to talk another aspect here? Am I doing okay? Yes? Okay, yeah. Believe me, I'm covering miles and miles right now. And I apologize, but I can't give as many further developed illustrations as I would like to. We'll get we'll do what we can. I've talked about the mind. Mind, of course, is uh, informed through these senses, the racial senses, and um, taking information and critically thinking, thinking about it as you're taking it as we're supposed to do it. The the two methods that you're Brain, in in a sense, develops the strongest are through listening to lectures, listening to a message, listening to something organized. When someone speaks organized to you, like a message or a lecture or so on, it's organized. It is a great way of helping format your mind. Your your brain, by the way, is looking for another brain to copy. Your brain is trying to imitate another brain. It's it's, it's an unbelievable facet of of the way God created us. We become like who who we're with. So your brain, the one is to listen to someone talk. The second is to read. And I, I could spend an hour talking about reading, the most amazing thing, when, when, especially when the Greek alphabet came into existence and how civilization really changed, ed, academia, everything changed with the Greek alphabet, especially the Greek alphabet, which was a perfection of the Phoenician alphabet, but it was the first coded alphabet, which democratized writing down to the, anybody could just memorize 26 characters instead of 26,000 characters. The way writing changed, okay? That's a, that's a whole other topic. But reading, uh, reading develops a part of the brain which is somewhat 
dormant. They know this now because of MRI technology. They're somewhat not doing much until you start reading. We start reading it, and it's on the left side of your brain, which means it's the logical part. It makes you more logical, and it actually affects the whole rest of the brain. Reading affects the whole rest. Watching or, or listening to information from someone talking to a lesser degree, just watching things happen doesn't do much as far as developing the brain. It gives you memories of things, but it doesn't develop it in the same way that uh, logical communication, and especially reading, okay? So this is the way the, the brain is developed. I can go a long time on that because it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. You can actually change your brain by reading. But the second part of who we are, we've discussed, is the heart. The heart. The desires of the heart, the longings, the what I want to be part of, those things are a little different. They're not taught as much as they are trained in through activity. Activity changes the heart. Reading, writing, listening changes the brain. Activities change the heart. Especially any liturgical, repetitive, or symbolic actions do something to the heart. And religion knows this. It's a, that's why a lot of religions go through very strong lit, liturgies and colors and so on, because it, it doesn't inform the people very much, but it gets their, it gets their heart, okay? Um, there's a really good book on this called uh, Desiring a Kingdom. It's not kingdom concept like we, like we know of, but by a, a James Smith. It's a very good book. It explains this. He's really good on this topic. But the, the, the point is, it's what you do and what you experience that changes your heart. An example is having grown up Roman Catholic. I, we, we open the Bible one night a year, Christmas Eve. That was it. And we didn't do We didn't. And most Catholics don't read the Bible. It's just not part of it. And, and so we, I, I grew up until I was 23 with almost no biblical knowledge. No, like, like none. I think that I've tried to remember back. If you said, what, what are the four Gospels? I don't, I don't think I could have told you. I'd say, I don't know. Um, because it just wasn't part of who we are. However, what they do do in Roman Catholicism is lots of liturgy, a lot of liturgy. You know, sit, stand, kneel, you know, come to the front, smoke and the colors and the host up and down and kiss the cross and do all these things. Over and over. They used to do it like all the time, like, like multiple times a week. When I was in college, I used to go to church multiple times. We go there, and what does it do? It works on the heart. So you'll find, this is, you'll find Catholics who can't tell you much about the Bible, about Jesus, about really tell us about the story of Mary. They don't know it. But if you insult Catholicism, why they're going to give you a knuckle sandwich. You know, don't you dare insult because mm, you affect their heart, you see. Same thing with this song. Most Muslims do not know the Quran. They do not know it. They're, it's in a foreign language. They're not supposed to read it in this um, current language. I mean, it's an ancient language, and they just don't know. They know what's been told to them, and they don't know a lot, but they go through. What do they do five times a day? What do they do five times a day? How? In a formation, shoulder to shoulder, a military. I got an imam told me this. Oh, it's like a military formation. All rows. All together, they're brothers pushing hard on both sides of them. They all go down together, up, down. 
five times a day they do this. And so they don't know much about their own religion, but they'll blow themselves up for it because their heart is so captured, okay? So this is a part of us that we have to be careful with. Now, the deal is, because I'm not, well, first of all, well, I'm going to get to this later, structures are important. Structures are important. I'll come back to this if we have time, a little bit. Want to throw out structures and be just like the world? You're going to lose something. You're going to lose a bunch. You know, I'll, I'll come back to that later. But structures are important. They, they do something. They're important for us. It's part of our, our creation design. The issue, the issue with media is that media consumption fills someone with all sorts of false experiences. False experiences of the world, not even out there, in, in the media realm, in the cyber world, the media, the alternate reality that they enter into, and they have all these experiences, and it's like they feel like they're there. When they're experiencing, they feel like I'm, I'm in the movie or in the, when I'm in the video game, all these things. It's changing the heart. And they're losing their heart for real things, and their heart is for false things. Okay, so the that that's the the uh, I, I I just give you a, a, examples in, in, from the military background. We were told we were made to do things that we hated. We did them enough, and we loved them. Hated carrying a ninety-pound rucksack. <laughs> First time, are you kidding me? We hiked ten miles. After about three weeks of doing it, hey, let's go. You know, we, hey, this is, you know, I'm, first few days, why did I sign up for this? I'm like, kidding, I, I want out of here. After a year of doing that, wow, this is, I can't believe we're here. This is, do you believe we're here? We love it, we love it. Something happens, that repetition, okay? So that's just something you have to deal with on, on many different levels. But one is, what's your habit of media? What's your habit? Your habit. Because the more you do that, the more you love it. First thing in the morning, she's going to grow you into it. You have to very proactively say, you know what? I'm breaking all my habits. I'm going to break them all. Break, break habits now and then. Just put it, away, put, put it away fast. Get away from it. Because what does it? You begin to like it. You begin to love it. And you begin to not be able to handle. You, that's what addiction is. Okay? Your heart loves that stuff. Okay? I'm not even getting into the dopamine aspect to it. It's just the repetition of doing something. Okay? So conditions, let's see. Yeah, so that's, that's the heart. Okay. You want to discuss real quick value system? The value systems and the way values are are affected by media consumption. And, uh, I do this, I want to do this real quick, okay. And I'll start to pull a few of these things together. I, I read a fascinating paper on the way down here today 
a scholarly paper, which I think 10 years ago would have been dead boring, but it was very exciting to me. You know, and it touched on some of this, so I'm going to try to incorporate a little bit into this tonight. I haven't used the material before, so I don't have it down in front of me. But I want to discuss real quick the way our, our value system works. And this came from a lot of trying to figure out over, over the years and, and study and from reading a lot of different uh, values material. And so I, I sort of came up with my own way to look at this. Um, so I'm going to discuss, discuss that now. And, and the more I look at scripture, the more I'm, it's validating itself more and more and more. Okay. So we have three aspects of our, three main aspects of our value system. There are, there are multiple aspects to it. You can go forever in, in greater detail. But the three main aspects of a value system are, first of all, identity. That is who you are and who you belong to, what's your group, and what are you like, and what are you not, and who you are not, and you, this whole identity. And, and, uh, so that's identity, who you are. The next one are your values, okay? And values, which, which includes, uh, also, it includes ethics, too. Okay, but values and ethics. Values, meaning what is important to me, how things should be, how things should end up, it's called terminal values, how things should be, and then there's functional values of how do they get there, what are the processes to, how should things be done? Not only how they should end up, but how should things be done and that will end up good and so on. And then ethics, being what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's evil, what's righteous, and so this is a, a, a values, and and it, and it, it again it spans from ideally, I wish the world was all love and peace, you know, at that level, and what well, I think keep people loving to each other, we shouldn't do that, and, and then we go down to your preferences when someone comes up and you know steals from you, what's your reaction, and that's a different level of a value. I get angry and. But you said you want love. You know, so you have all this dissonance that comes in there. And the last one is in this first go-ahead is the behaviors. Okay? And so you have this triad here. It's a main triad of this value system. And that is that my identity and my values and my behavior should comport. They should all work out together. I mean, if I believe one thing, if I believe I'm somebody, then I should have the values that go with that person and I should behave thus. Yes? And if they don't, something's wrong and I have dissonance. Something's wrong. It's not working. So if I believe in purity as a single man, I believe in purity. No, I know. I believe I'm a Christian and then therefore I believe in purity, but I have a bad relationship with my girlfriend. Something's wrong. Something's got to change. And your, your, your brain doesn't, it doesn't work well. Your brain, well, something's wrong here. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Something's got to fix. So if I say, well, okay, what are the options? Well, I can repent. And go, oh, that was wrong. I'm stopping. I repent. Confess it. And Lord, forgive me and tell me no more. And, you know, get my charge. Help me. Oh, I was wrong. Repent. One. Or I can say, eh, let's 
change the values. Let's find another, someone else. What, what do you think? Let's go to another church, find someone else who can tell me, no, no, that value is great. It's great to do that. It's okay to do that. Well, if you do that, then what, well, what are you? You really, can you be a Christian and have non-Christian values that support your behavior? No, you're, this is, it's, the whole thing gets changed. Do you, you see this? Okay, now, I just want to tell you, this, this is a great tool for discipleship, for working with young people. When you, and I've, I've used this with that issue I just told you. <laughs> it comes up with college students, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, I want to be a Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, <laughs> problem here. Okay, well, then you have to go through it, really. This is what, what you're calling yourself. You know, this is this, this issue, okay? And then uh, to, go, to go along with this now, there's another part to this, and that is structures. which are a human inevitability. Structures and standards are part of humanity. They're not part of the church. Yes, they're part of the church. They're not only part of the church. They are part of humanity. Okay? That every time anybody works with somebody else and you meet and you start talking, you start to build structures. Any, every organization that's out there, has standards and structures. They all do. It's part of what an organization is. Okay? And it's a funny thing that for some reason somebody somewhere is telling us that of all the organizations that are out there have them, the church shouldn't have them. Who's telling us that? It's not our friend. I can tell you that. Who's doing that? The whole attack on structures is, quite, from my standpoint, completely illogical. It's illogical. It's not coming from Christ. It's, it's when they say, no, standard structure. No, because get two people together. Uh, I, I, um, I already forgot your first name. David. David. Yeah, David. I was going to say David. I said, David, David. So David and I, we're working for someone else. We have, I, I, I'm sorry, your name again. Josh. Josh. Okay. David and I are working for Josh. Josh says, I want you to work at 8 o'clock. And then eight o'clock, and then I start coming seven quarter to seven, or, or seven o'clock, and oh, he comes to come at seven o'clock. And for two years, we go to seven o'clock, and then one day I come in at eight. What's he going to say? You're late. You're late. Was I late? He said eight o'clock. But somehow we just created a structure. It's just, it's it's a very it's a fascinating uh, structuration theory. It's a really interesting thing to look at is when you look at human development. But what's important about structures for a moment? Okay? And I think we're, a lot of churches are in danger right now because of this. Because structures, oh, show me in the scripture where it is. Well, some are. The scripture definitely does that. And that's where we have authority, which is another part of the value structure. The authority can't, doesn't draw real well because the authority affects all of them. It affects all of them. But it informs some structures, other structures we develop naturally from our values and our behavior. We develop them, and structures are important because they, they do not make us righteous by holding them. They don't make us righteous. Christ makes us righteous. But the structures help us to live righteous. They help us. 
we let's agree to do this. When something happens, we let's tell each other. And and in the church, if this happens, we're going to ask you. We're going to say, please don't go. We do these things to help us live righteous. The structures help inform our values. And by the way, there's an interesting. Sometimes the the, the sociologists are pushing that values. It's not one way. Behavior creates values. That's why children who can't understand values, they can understand behavior. You train them up, it trains their heart. And they get the value in their heart. That's why you have the structures. The structures inform especially the children. They can't, you can't educate the child on sanctification or saved by grace. Yeah, they don't know that. But the behaviors they do, they'll get that. And their heart will be there. Train up a child in the way, what? When they're young, and they'll have to part later on. Okay? So we have this structure system. Yes? So the authority, let me, I drew this too big. Oh, anyways. I'll put it here. Authority. The identity is that we identify with this authority. We take the name of Christ. We take the name, his name. There's something I'm, I'm going through some reading on names, the power of naming. Just the fact that a parent names a child. It's my child. I named that child. It's like and God names us. Adam was, had authority to name the earth. It was his dominion. And we take the name of Christ. And that's the, when working with young people, um, are they, you know, I, have a whole, I have a whole sequence of what to do in, in discipleship. But first is, are we under the authority? Are we, do we identify with it? And then we, do we take their values and then we subordinate our lives. We discipline our lives to become you know, in tune with our values and we get structures that help us to do this. And so we have this going on. And that's, that's in the actual world. No, let's call it actual reality. This is what we are living doing Issue we have here with media. This is where I was. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating field. Is that we have this ability as humans to dwell in multiple realities. We have the actual reality, but then we can, unlike an animal, maybe, maybe the animal is a little bit because the animals dream and stuff. There's, they'll be thinking about other things. But we have this uncanny ability to have this other realm in which we can have a relationship with someone who's not there. God, who's not physically there. But we have this relationship with him. And we learn of the, in a sense, I guess I don't have this perfected because I, 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 I really grasped something this afternoon, but I'm gonna, the other part will you'll understand better. We study the scripture and we listen to messages and we gather together and we are informing ourselves and we're disciplining and praying and we're trying to, in a sense, become imitators of Christ. Ephesians 5.1. 
In the King James, it says, be followers, but actually the word is mimikeo. We're supposed to imitate Christ. So when we look at Christ, our authority, Christ and his idea, we have this little bit of a structure that we're looking at, and we're, we, we, we dwell in this, this other world. Okay? And, and young men, you have to really develop this early on in your devotions. My devotions in the morning, my, my perfect devotions are to be up at 4 in the morning, and I have a reading program, and I can give you the reading program I put together 30 years ago. And in the morning, between 4 and 6 in the morning, I have a reading pattern I go through, and a writing pattern, and I almost feel like I'm someplace else during my devotions in learning the scripture and reasoning with Christ and him speaking into my life through the scriptures. And while I'm doing that, I'm getting these values from the scripture and I'm, I'm getting these behaviors. I'm seeing these things and then I compare them to my life and I'm like, I, you know, and, I'm, and, and I, I see these things that, that, oh, I'm repenting and I'll write it out and I'll tell my wife sometimes, look, there's something wrong here. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this other world, this spiritual world that we dwell on, in my relationship, I'm actually talking with him and communing with him and then letting that inform my actual reality. So this is my, in a sense, it's connected, this is not perfect, but it's the more focus on the spiritual, okay, because we're spiritual beings. It's a part of us. I don't mean it's separate. It's in us, okay? But this is what we do as believers. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we pray. That's why we memorize the word of God. That's why we encourage each other. That's why we pray together. And why we, okay, this becoming the issue that we're in in this day and age now is that we have this alternate one now. The media, the media alternate reality that we can go off into and dwell in, it's a false reality. It's an alternate reality than real reality, than the actual flesh and blood walking around. It's created into this cyber, into the electronic world. And it has its interesting non-value system. It's a non-value system. And it really hit home today to when we were driving down here. I was reading this, oh, I've known it, but I didn't. It's called Anime, and I, it's in my, in my notes, and sometimes I'll talk about this, but it's Anime. You'll hear it, antinomian. Anybody heard the word antinomian? It means against the law, where Paul was saying, I'm not against the law. The antinomians, no law, and a lot of um, Protestantism, no laws, no laws. You're saved by grace, and don't, you know, that's antinomian. But enemy is no law. You see, when you get on, on, on social media, especially, social media, there's no law. There's no rule. You can insult people. You can act like whoever you want. You can create your own pictures. You can adjust your pictures to be whatever you want to be. You can be whoever you want. In video game, do whatever you want. Complete no law. No law. Do whatever you want. You can, watching a movie, terrible, horrible things happen in the movies. Because Hollywood wants, they 
written in. They want no law. They want, I don't have time to go through it because time's so late now, and I have a whole definition. They want savagery is what they want. They want us to become savages with no law. But in the internet world, do whatever you want. And people now dwell more in this world, not only than they do in this world, but more than they dwell in this world. They're in the cyber world now, in the entertainment and online and on social media and video games, all that, far more than they're even on this. And they're becoming, that's what's happening. They're becoming, their value system now is reflecting this no laws value system. Now, it does have its structure. It's still going to have the ID, all that. It's constantly changing. But the bottom line is no law. You can do whatever you want. Free for all. Out there. And that's what the general public is becoming. It's a moral free fall. That's what we're facing now. The more media, the more enemy. That Hollywood has from the beginning been against any law. From the beginning, even they were, they were, they were being chased around. They were, the government was trying to get, they were running to Mexico. They were, they were renegades from the very beginning. Hate, hate law, hate law. And they were out to destroy Victorian culture, and they did it. They, accomplishment. In my lifetime watching, I had a very Victorian mother from Britain. Watching her in my, Go to, go to out with wearing white gloves and a hat. Always, always, always. You know, in the 60s. In America. This is, but they hated it. They hated it. Hey, watch it. Destroyed it. They destroyed it. Destroyed American and Victorian culture. What America, I met in, in the 80s, talking to Europeans, they go, but isn't America the born-again nation? What? Because all, all the world looked at America. It was a different, was it truly born again? No, but it had a Victorian culture. They took it down. This is how they took it down, through entertainment. You play on, the, on entertainment, you play that stuff, it is going to influence you. It's going to change your structure, your, your value structure. How? A little at a time. A little at a time. Okay. Let me give you one quick example of how that, how that works. Everybody okay? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I'm going to get one shot with you. One shot. This is my one shot with you. I'm going to give it to full as I can. Okay, hands up. Hands up again. Now sit down just for a couple more minutes. I'll let you go. Okay? I, I, Paul, I'm not trying to take authority or anything. It's just one shot and this is... When I talk to people about media out there on the outside, the one statement I say, I say media is the issue of our age and everybody... Yep, it's the issue of our age, especially the parents. How does this work? When you, and uh, one of my professors wrote a really good book on this. So it's, so it's, it's not just me creating these things. And actually was trying to apply this in the Middle East. I actually went over with him to try and apply some of this research um, in, in the Middle East. And that is when you, when you, uh, when someone, Okay, I don't know this church at all, right? I don't know anything about it. So anything you think I'm saying, I'm not trying to judge anybody. So if I say videos and so on, because there are, there are Mennonite churches that have like 
Saturday night movie nights and stuff, which I, I, I my head almost explodes when I hear that. I almost, I, I pin me. What, what are we doing? Let's have, let's have Saturday night. This is what this is. Let's, let's, uh, you know, no. And, um, but so when, when, uh, when this, this is how the, the media changes So we gotta, we're watching a movie, and I'm gonna be very quick in this, and the teenagers get together, watch this movie, and it's a, it's a secular movie, it's not X-rated or anything, it's not R-rated or anything, but they're all, they all have agendas, totally have an anti-Christian agenda to take you down and make you a savage, right? So their goal, make you a savage. A little bit at a time, and they're happy. Okay? So you're watching this movie, and it's a great movie, it's historic, and it's beautiful, and it's Europe, and it's in. It's during a war, and 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 and, and there's a good. There's 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 the, the guy and there's the girl. We'll just say the boy, boy, boy and the girl, and 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 uh, the story is a, a very important conflict, and there's battles going on, and it's historically accurate in some ways, and it's beautiful. And the thing is that he is a stud, and she is a babe. She's good looking, you know, and. He is, oh, he's strong. And, and the guys are like, hey, you know, wow, the way he did that, I wish I could be strong like that. And the girls, oh, the way she acted, oh, she's, oh, the way she dressed, oh, she's crazy. And then what happens is they start to do something. They start to identify with them. That's an important point. Because while they're watching the movie, when someone's watching a documentary or a movie or whatever it is, veggie tales, huh? Oh, <laughs> you temporarily forget reality, in the, in the industry, it's called suspension of disbelief. That's the term. I used to use that in simulation development. You would try to bring soldiers into a suspension of disbelief so that they really think they're in combat. We would try to achieve this. And I've been in situations where I, I thought I was in combat in a, in a simulation. I was sweating. Like, yeah. it was, it's really very powerful. So suspension of disbelief, but what it really, from our standpoint, is forgetting your own identity. So when you're watching a movie, you forget that you're this Mennonite goody two-shoe who doesn't do these things, but you're in the movie, you forget all that. You don't know who you are. It's all suspended. And you're in the movie, and you start to go identify, typically the guy with the guy, girl with a the girl. They start identifying. And then they go down the stunt, and they're, they've forgotten that they're, it's, you know, they think they're back in, I don't know, the 1940s or something like that. And it's a story they've made along, and, and they almost get killed, and their parents are after them, and they are starting to like each other, and this villain comes in, and he's starting to break it up. And then they almost die, and one night they were together, and it was just a, you know, a night that they were together, and they were just, you know, they were together, you know, okay? But you can understand, because they almost died, and really liked him, and they had a cause, and in the end, they saved the day, and their victory so that one night, when they were together, they did that. And you go, wow, I can sort of understand. Satan goes, victory! Victory! Did he take your values and go all the way the other direction? No, no, he got you, he got you. This, a little teeny bit. If this group, if, it, if we had two competing forces here, two teams, and you're red, and you're blue, and you're saying, you're blue, you say, 
why this group says, you know what? We just have a little bit better relationship with them. If we would just be a little more red. So why don't we just be a little more red for them to make the red pet people happy? And so we're going to be less red. We're going to have blue and red to make them happy. What does this team do? Yeah, we're winning. Larry, we're winning. You see? So you go watch your movie, and just this little time while you're while you forgot your identity, you accepted bad behavior during the movie, where, and then you came back. You're not the same. Your value system has changed. That's why these little, from movies to video clip to YouTubes, they're in there. They're in there. This stuff. You are subjecting yourself. You cannot allow yourself to go into, it's called a transported state, where I forget where I am. You can't ever watch anything media-wise where, I, whoa, I forgot where I was. We really enjoyed that. I felt like I was there. No, that's transported state. You are subject to having your values changed. It's deadly dangerous. Deadly dangerous. Okay. Let's... Uh, you see how this is war? Getting it? It's war. All right, well, what do we do? I, I could go on. As you probably figured out, I can go on all night on this. But I want to and cut, cut to the chase so we, can, so we can digest some of this stuff here. What do we do now? What do we do? Point, then I'm gonna then I give you a, a solution. What do I want to emphasize? First grade commandment. What is that about? What's first grade commandment about? The first of the first grade. Loving God. Loving God. So love God with heart, soul, strength, mind. If I Make a, uh, you know, uh, a statue, uh, you know, a statue in, of, a, of a person, Astra. I, I love God, but I put this and I go, you know what? I carve, not just a drawing, I carve. Oh, what is that called? Idolatry. How serious is it? Is it serious? How serious? Yeah, hell? What happened in old Israel? For idolatry? Death! Death! You call yourself an Israelite? You call yourself an Israelite? You're not supposed to have a... You do... Death! Structure. Death! Pretty serious, right? First and great commandment. Don't do it! Yes? Second great commandment. What's that about? Love your neighbor. Love. Love. Interact. Have a relationship 
your neighbors, your neighbor. What did I say? You know what? On my device, I really like this person. On the TV, on the YouTube, on social media, on whatever. I really, I'm having one really, oh, it's really fun. Don't watch, watch him again. Ha, 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 look at this. Oh, this guy, he's so great. Is that person with you? No. What's with you? A device. What is that, that image then? Is that a person? It's an emulation of a person. It's not. When I'm having a relationship with that person, with respect to the second great commandment, what am I doing? What am I doing? Who am I supposed to have a relationship with? Real people. When I have a relationship with a false person, what is that? Like unto the first. Very close. Like unto the first. It is serious business. You have got to think about this. You've got to think about it. Okay. Solution. Let's just go through this real quick. First. Media use. Remember that media changes who you are. It changes you. Your media consumption, it changes you. Education changes you. Everything changes you. Media changes you. It's not something I just watch it and it will go away. No, no, it, it changed you. You now are interpreting. You take on the values. You, you have memories of all those things. It, it, it's, it's changing you. You have to ask this question. What is this doing to me? Why am I doing this? Do, should I be doing it? Remember, it's junk food. Avoid relationships with false beings, with parasocial relationships. That's, that's what that's parasocial. Practice getting hungry. Oh, I'm bored. Pick it up. No. Why don't you get more bored? Why don't you condition yourself to like a quiet reality where the most exciting thing that happens to you is someone walks in the room. <laughs> they, oh, you're excited. A person came in. Make yourself hungry for people again. If you, I'm not saying you're not. I just know that the culture in general is, is going this direction. Practice unmediated relationships face-to-face. -face. Let's, let's go. I'm to do this later, but let's go to... Okay. I'd like to give context for these things. Okay. The context is... How do I do this really quickly? I, I, I'm one of the people that believes that probably one of the greatest inventions in human history was the Greek alphabet because it democratized writing. It brought writing from not just the scribes. Scribes were not just a biblical thing. Scribes were all countries had scribes because writing was so ridiculously hard for, every, for anybody. It took a whole lifetime to learn how to write until they came up with the 26 characters. It was a code instead of pictures and all these things. And uh, there was a, I ask my, my, my students sometimes this question. They go, uh, uh, have any of you, who are the great philosophers, Greek philosophers? Who's the, who's the, the, the first big famous one? Anybody know? 
Starts with an S? Socrates. Socrates. And I asked my students, you know, has anybody read Socrates? And some of them always go, yeah, I've read Socrates. I go, Socrates didn't write anything. Okay? So how can you? Okay. And the, the deal was Socrates was against writing. He's against it. He thought there were problems with writing. Because writing was very new. It was changing all of Greece very quickly. But he had this point. He goes, if it's just written down, you're not going to read it and memorize it. I mean, you're not going to memorize it. And it's not, you're not going to internalize it. It's not going to be you. You're gonna just, it's going to be on a paper somewhere. And that's not the point of information. That's not the point of education. The point of education is to be internal, not on a paper somewhere. So he was this way. And then uh, who, was, who was his student? Aristotle. 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 And then who was the next guy? It wasn't really a student, but contemporary, a little bit younger. Who was that? No, wait. He didn't do that right. It wasn't Aristotle. I'm sorry. Who was it? Socrates starts with a P. Plato. And then Aristotle. Okay. Then Aristotle. Aristotle was the one. He wasn't really in the same lineage. But Aristotle was the third one who wrote like crazy. And then who was the fourth one? Most people don't get this. Who was the fourth person in that lineage? A guy named Alexander the Great. Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. And with this education, this explosion, and of course he took over the world. But uh, the issue was there was this question of, of the, the value of writing. And from my, from my comprehension now of, of how these things work, I'm of, a, of the mind that the vast majority of, no, not the vast majority, but a good portion of the New Testament, especially the Gospels, were oral documents. Oral. Memorized. People used to memorize like crazy. What, how did you learn anything if you had no reading and writing? How did you learn? You attached yourself to a teacher, and you follow him all day, and whatever he said, you memorized on the spot for life. This is, this is how the human brain works. When I worked with an old tribe, it was amazing to see this. They did this. They memorized things for life on the spot. Okay. So we have this issue that we have the social media of the day is writing. And it's questionable. Just like we write, question social media. But it's a very interesting statement in scripture. Let's all go to this verse, and I'll, I'll give you a, re a review in just a minute, and we'll finish up here. Let's all go to 2 John. 2 John. And I'll give you a... I'll finish the synopsis and let you go. 2 John... can't get to it myself. I'm trying. I'm trying hard. There we go. Second John, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come to you to speak face to face that our joy may be full. Look at that. Even then, they were dealing with this issue of a media, the writing media, being something that was taking away from the face-to-face. -face. John, who wrote the, he wrote the, wrote the book of John, and then he wrote 1 John, and he, then he starts to write another one. He stops. He goes, wait a second. I think face-to-face -face is more important. I'm going to come and I'm going to see face-to-face. -face. We need to be that. We need to return to that. Face-to-face. -face. Okay? We've got to be face-to-face. -face. Get hungry for people. 
Remember my name tag thing? Try that. It's really fun. I can't not do it now. When I see a name tag, I can't, I can't help myself saying people's names. It, it's, it's really fun. Don't allow media to replace relationships. I didn't touch on this topic, but I'll, in a nutshell, all this media stuff that we're getting is displacing heritage. Americans do not know where they came from. They don't know their heritage. They know movie stars, movies, stories. They know all that. They don't know where they came from. They don't, it's amazing. It's almost like a perfect plot. If you don't know where you came from, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. And you don't know where you're going. Martyr's Mirror. Martyr's Mirror. If I can read Martyr's Mirror, you can read Martyr's Mirror. If I can graft in, if I can graft in to the Anabaptist culture by reading that and feeling that these are, these are my, they're like my people, you better be doing it. Or you're going to leave it. Martyr's Mirror. Anabaptist vision. Like Bender, anybody heard of it? Get a hold of church, get a hold of Anabaptist vision. It's only, it's a little booklet. Fantastic when I read it. I was, I had nostalgia of when I first became a Christian. These young men who had a vision for what the kingdom of God was supposed to be by Harold Bender, written in 1941 or something. Fantastic. Read it, discuss it, young men. Discuss this. Learn, you've got to know your heritage. Older people, parents, if you don't put that heritage into your young people, it scares me. Okay? It scares me. Continue to practice your symbolic culture. Oh, what does it matter? Oh, you know, the church is, oh, we threw, I don't need to get into this. We threw off. We threw off that stuff, and now, kumbaya, we just have Jesus. Oh, and they go through this wonderful, wonderful kumbaya period. Oh, we're so spiritual now because we've thrown off all that heritage and that tradition, and we just have Jesus. And then, because they've thrown out the structures, all this begins to go collapse. And after a while, that. They all do it. They all do it. I, that, that's not an Anabaptist thing. I watched Roman Catholicism throw off their structures, and that's who they are now. I've watched churches do that in my lifetime, other non-Anabaptists. Now the Anabaptists, throw it off. We, have, we just have Jesus, kumbaya. Yeah, and the biggest thing that happens is you lose your children. You lose your children. Okay? Okay, on these. What do I do? Do we stop everything with media? No. No. But you aim for the optimal and then back off to reality. Do we stop everything? No, but you have now seasoned in my mind what this stuff can do to me. Now I'm more careful with it. Okay? There are... Here's, here's principled, responsible use of media. Number one, what is media? You know what media is good for as far as the world. You know that. As far as 
I, I, I don't have time to go through every one of them, but I'll, I'll give you generally. This is what media is good for and to, 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 be, to focus on. Information, yes, for information, for sending information out, sending files to people, re recording in, in data, um, excellent. S sending out notes for a meeting coming up, yep, 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 sending it, good, good, good. Um, calling up someone to tell them um, the, the way the project is gonna go tomorrow, we need to do it, yeah, information, information, great. Coordination, excellent. Time of the meeting, sending a message out, the church meeting is, is delayed for whatever. Coordination, excellent, excellent. Research, really good for research. Pretty much because the library now is, 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 is accessed through, through elect, electronically. Is it good for research? It's good for research. Not the only thing you can do, go to the library, but you can, you can get in there. I, I do research through, through the internet now. It's, it, it, good, good. Data, data precision, calculation, storage, good, it's good, yes. Relationship, no. No. Stop, stop, stop there. Where it's good for relationship, no. Oh, I, I want to write and tell you lovely things uh, via texting or via social media. No, 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 you do that face to face. You do that in person. You, It's called media bias. It's a whole concept I don't have time to go through, but it'll actually shape it and turn it into something that you didn't intend it to be. Face-to-face -face builds a one type of relationship. A written letter writing builds another type of relationship, which is, can work with it. But the media has strong biases towards entertainment, towards, oh, in any case, towards misunderstanding, mainly. Pay attention correctly. Talked about this transported state. Don't do the transported state. Paying attention correctly is when I have to do something. Like at work, we're going to watch this, a safety video or so, or I have to watch this for some reason. Then I go, okay, I'll watch this, but I'm going to have in my mind what this is doing to me. Keep that in the back of your mind. What is this? Ask that question. When I'm doing this, is it worth it? For what's doing it to me? Maybe it will, maybe not. But I will very, be hyper aware of that. Avoid entertainment. Don't do things for entertainment. If you, if you are finding that you, your happiness comes from in the entertainment world, there's something really wrong. It needs to be stopped. Because your real entertainment of life should be relationship with you, with other people, and you with God, and then those together. That's the entertainment of life. Okay? Avoid impulsive desire for connection. If you impulsively, oh, I want to keep doing it, time to, to, to check on things. And of course, I spoke about mediated relationships. And the third big issue, we need, to, we need to be people that help other people out of this. As we're watching collapse, this enemy, this is what's going on in our country right now. Are you, are you ready for what's... <laughs> the economy slows a couple of ticks. We're going to really see how lawless people are because they've been living in the lawless world. This lawless virtual world. We have, to, we have to begin, become people that can help. Why is your church? Why are you people like that? Wow, you're, you have things that we don't have. You know what? It partially is because we don't have that. We push that aside. Help them out of that. 
have many other things I could go through. Again, I don't have time. I, I hope this was helpful. Maybe get a little bit of a launch into, into thinking about it. Um, back to the very beginning of, of the talk. I want to reemphasize that this is not fun and games. This is not toys, and it's beyond tools now. We're playing with weapons now, weapons that actually will take down your soul, and you will lose your young people. You will, we, have, we've lost. We lost a significant member, church member, and I'm telling you, it was media. My, not my child. I, I, my perspective, it was clear, lots of, lots of people's perspective, it was me. It was me. Why can't I? Why can't I? When he, he, he saw that world, identified with that world, he says, I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really that. Watch it, watch it happen. And it's only going to increase. So it's war. So let me, can I pray for you? Our gracious and loving and powerful and almighty Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Holy Spirit who indwells your people, we ask for your help. We're in the midst of war. The casualties are all around us. A whole country taken down by entertainment. Churches gone apostate into madness. Madness. So far from Christianity that it's hard to comprehend that they call themselves after your name. Now something that used to be outside the gates, but now it's entered like the Trojan horse. It's gotten into our pockets, into our homes. The messages that are against the kingdom of God, against the values of the kingdom, get in. And we're exposed to them, and our children are exposed to them. And we're changing. We don't want to admit it. We're changing. And I ask, Lord, that you would Revive in us determination to be the kingdom of God, the people of God, separate, transformed, who turn away from that, the, the sin for a season as Moses turned away, that we would turn away and be the people of God, come what may. Lord, that we would dwell in that spiritual reality not a mediated reality that when we're tempted we would remember this and say no don't do it help us Lord all of us to do this but I especially see a section of young men and Lord that the culture would love to have them 
taken away. Oh, that they would become men, men young in their lives, men of determination to say no to darkness, no to temptation, not even wicked, hideous temptation, just temptation to acquiesce to the world. But make these, we need a generation of young men who stand strong. Amen. Lord, take these young men and make them stand strong for the kingdom of God. Amen. Where will we be if we don't have them? So do this, Lord. Lord, bless this congregation with just great love for you, great love for one another, great love for those that are lost out there. Love enough that will tell them the truth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.